0: Alright, the first episode of Stories from the CRISPR Drawer. I am your host, Justin, and I'm here with Matt. Hi there. Hey, how's it going, man? Things are going pretty good. That's good. Thanks for having
1: me on your podcast. Yeah, no, for sure,
0: man, for sure. You gotta have Laura on one day, too.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah. Well, I think it's a great idea that you're doing a podcast and that you have... A nice little studio set up here in your basement. It makes it really easy to record these things, so I hope you can uh, record a whole bunch of them, actually.
0: Do a lot, yeah. Unlike uh, all the other podcast attempts I've done with my Jaws Consortium website, where it's usually like five episodes gone. Five (laughs) episodes, four years hiatus.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, why is that? It's funny how sometimes we start doing things and then it just kind of falls by the wayside
0: Uh, a different interest come in the uh, (laughs) uh, the friend at least for um, the original Jaws consortium stuff a lot of the friends who I wanted to have do host or work with it generally like we either went our separate ways or life just became too busy Mm -hmm. and inconvenient at times yeah
1: yeah, I guess it's hard to maintain things sometimes, especially when if you depend on other people to come in
0: and yeah. help you out. Well, yeah, at that point, you almost, to have a dedicated group of people to continue to come, you either got to find a way to pay them or you got to have a bigger incentive. Yeah. Granted, like a lot of my buddies do want to be on this, just for fun anyway, and now that it's becoming more... I guess because of the Jaws Consortium stuff was always so t- tiny and so niche, and only a f- few of us knew about it, and only a few of us knew how to get it. Oh yeah. Now I'm just looking into, uh, you know, hosting. stream. Yeah, well, hosting sites and thinking of doing other stuff. Like, potentially there could be a video camera live streaming us on YouTube or Facebook, or we could do something even more crazy. <laughs> what What's crazier than that? We could build our own. We could build our own social media website. Site to beat Facebook and just cause havoc on it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> or we could just basically, or we could use BitChute for everything, which would be really funny. You know what BitChute is, Matt? No, what's that? So it's a video um, sharing platform, sort of like YouTube, except it's going back to the old BitTorrent days where everything is peer to peer. So oh. there's no centralized server for the videos. When you put it on there, people assist in downloading and spreading it throughout. So that way you don't have a centralized. System that could, ten- could potentially be controlled by corporate interests or not. So now you're not worried about hey your video's not getting is not ad friendly. We're not gonna promote it anymore. Well, yeah. When we talk
1: about uh, doing Facebook or YouTube live, it freaks me out a little bit, thinking that YouTube's gonna own all our private thoughts and our conversations <laughs> yeah. and have us on there, and who knows what they'll do with it. <laughs> they can- cut your head out and put it on some, some naked fat guy's body <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and they could put me on some, some little dog or something. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, either, you know, some people might find that appealing. Other, pe- other people find that terrifying. <laughs> yeah. And many of us who have looked into futuristic, uh, futurist theories, such as the singularity find all of that, like. Intriguing but concerning <laughs> Yeah I think well the, the computers Will analyze
1: our mannerisms and our voice And uh, how we talk yeah. to each other And then they'll be able to replicate us and, and then trick us Into believing that You know I'm actually talking to you Maybe you'll receive a phone call one day <laughs> And you'll think it's me but it'll actually be A, a super Human uh, Or a super computer Trying to get you to do something for it so if you ever received a phone call from me asking you to take 20 pounds of lead and obsolete circuitry
0: to a strange warehouse don't do it. Uh you why have you seen uh, ads online that made you think about that? Uh, <laughs> or is it just, or no. was it in a book or is it just something just you wanted to do the most uh S- like, slightly possible, but also really insane. Because <laughs> uh, I would be surprised if a computer's already done that to somebody. If, if there's a good enough AI that actually has made that phone call. Coerce them into well, doing something? Maybe not coercing, but just convincing enough. Like, I heard a story about uh, a guy in Texas who was... He has a um, GM car with OnStar, and he, on it, and he had a phone call come through it, and he couldn't tell. It was a service call. He couldn't tell if it was a computer or a person he was talking to. Like, it was that just so normal. He's like, he couldn't tell for the longest time because there was no cues, uh, at least like the conversation of the person on the other end, if it was a person, didn't use a lot of uh, words that we would regularly use to describe ourselves or seem more human. And also, if it was a computer, it didn't use a lot of words or didn't have stunted speech like some computers had. Uh So he's fairly... He, he's sort of in the point of, like, it could be human or it could be a robot that called me. I don't know which one yet. Wow. Well, yeah, we're not gonna getting too far away from
1: that, I think. Yeah. And, in fact, they have uh, Adobe's working on on, uh, on a system that will allow you to replicate people's voices and imitate them so you can essentially type in text and it will sound as if it's coming from President Trump or uh, me or you or whoever so we can finally make Trump say the (laughs) things we we want him to say.
0: Yeah, although... People will just make him say crazy things, but I think he says too much crazy stuff already. Yeah, it's like we're we're not going to find anything crazier than what he says. Like it's, it's, it's yeah. kind of like we need to make Trump say something crazier. <gasps> sure. Have you not watched the last press conference? He kinda does. Yeah. It's like every time you think he can't be, oh, he just passed that line. Uh huh.
1: Yeah. As I was saying that, I realized like yeah,
0: there's not Maybe, much you probably, he could probably make need a more bad. articulate and uh, and better speaker. I think David Attenborough of Planet Earth.
1: Yeah, because he's a
0: quite a conservative type of spe- speaker he's well any basically most of the upper class british people have are very conscious with their word choices and are <laughs> articulate that way it would be those guys playing around with <laughs> God, it would also be the bad day to be a voice actor in that industry yeah no <laughs> oh boy doubt. it's like it's like you just recorded uh you had like a a job on a TV show and now you're done because the computer analyzed you and basically they can replicate everything you said now they just need one guy sitting in a studio 10 hours a day to have every single TV show be voice acted <laughs> yeah well real actors too I mean
1: seeing what they're doing with uh, CG animation and and the, the way they're able to imitate uh, human realism I think <laughs> we're not too far away from the point where the idea of being an actor will be uh, a much different
0: thing than it is now and it has been for a while. Yeah, it could be that the, um, I guess the stunt guys who dress up in the green suits could be actually the most valuable people on set soon (laughs) because they might be the only guys on set. They'll become the new actors, kind of
1: faceless actors for these CG models. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Although at the same time, if you're a... You know, I guess if you're an actor who, who they want to use your face in a lot of movies, you go get the 3D scan, you get the royalty rights. It's pretty good because that way if you ever get into a car accident or something that, like, disfigures your face face, or you get suffer some body injury that would restrict you from doing that, it's like, hey, I just have my royalties guaranteed. But I mean, you have to have a pretty good lawyer because I don't think a lot of them will think about uh, what they look like as intellectual property rights, but people are going to have to think about that now. Yeah, well, or if you die... I mean, look what's happened to. uh,
1: That's what they did with Carrie Fisher, wasn't it? Uh, I
0: think. Oh no! No, they 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 haven't done that before she died. But no, they did that to um, the guy who played uh, uh, Grandma Moff Tarkin. Right. Yeah, they brought him back. Right. Yeah. Him and and Tupac. uh, Yeah, Yeah, Michael 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 Jackson. Jackson, They probably brought him back. Uh, Yeah, they have. yeah, if you have for people who haven't seen Rogue One, uh, watch it after watching uh, Episode Four of Star Wars and realize there are a lot of characters that would have died out of age. Um, a lot of people, their actors would have died of age uh, post Episode um, Four, who suddenly reappeared in Episode uh, in uh, Rogue One to fill in that. Yeah, like uh, the guy who plays uh, Red Leader in. And yellow leader, they they both passed on. Yeah. And then they basically took archival footage from the original film and spliced it in there, and spliced words together to make them talk. Yeah. It's pretty pretty amazing.
1: Yeah. So we were talking before we started recording about why you uh,
0: why you wanted <laughs> to make this th- podcast. Yeah. Well, the idea I've always wanted to make a good podcasts i've the ones i've made beforehand are more entertainment and just for fun this one's more about uh well both for entertainment for fun but also i was thinking about um the archivalness of this and how oh, and i doubt archivalness is a word if it is webster's please make it one it seems like it would be a good red it's definitely not but the idea of how speci- we don't see our progression as actively as we should in projects so let's say you know let's say you don't see a picture of yourself for three years or you don't see like uh you did a job, but you don't see any progression in it until you actually see evidence of work you've done. You don't know how well that's done. Or if you're a guy going off, going to do your own project, like, Hey, I'm going to go, uh, you know, Let's say it's something specifically in the digital realm, like you're going to say, I'm going to write a book, I'm going to make some music, I'm going to build a couple of websites, I'm going to make a video series, I'm going to do tutorials or like teaching stuff like that. I guess stuff with more human interaction would be easier to judge, but let's say you're doing stuff that's just completely by yourself and you don't know you're going anywhere until you show it to somebody, but you, you're always at that point of, I don't know how far I've come. Yeah. if you're able to even go back and talk to somebody about like, hey, how how did this part of the project go? You suddenly start realizing, yeah, I did some work. Yeah, <laughs> I actually progressed and I think a lot of people get into a, a point in life where they see the, not the full, they see the full work as it not being complete so they feel discouraged about not continuing to work on their uh-huh. project. They keep saying, oh, it's too big, it's too long and they don't think about, hey, well, you got to take each step like any sort of sort of progress like you want to write a book sit down write write an outline make up a list of characters that you want to work with make up a, an idea of a timeline like you you don't have to start and say like chapter one start immediately running with dialogue and hope that you're gonna have a book though one of my friends told me that a uh, a really good writer in the united states who does a lot of um Fantasy books and also gun-related books. His his belief is is don't overplan it; just write as fast as you can. <laughs> just get it out. Yeah, yeah. But but the same time, if you're all, if you're doing that and you don't talk to people about it or you don't communicate of how the project's going, you're eventually gonna. If you get into a rut, you're think, oh, I I haven't gone anywhere with this. And sometimes talking to people or even just having any reminder of where you started and where you've come from is a good thing to do yeah we lose sight of too much of like hey we've actually done something today it's more like I just spent eight hours a day at work well did you do anything it's like I, I don't know I just spent eight hours at work yeah you don't see the you see the giant co- machine but you don't see your ability in the co as a cog in it maybe if the, maybe that's your machine or maybe that's the machine of somebody else but you're doing something yeah hopefully so you think that by
1: recording these podcasts, it's a way of kind of capturing the yeah. the progress a little bit, so that you're able to look back on these times and and acknowledge where you've been, where, and the, the yeah, places you've gone, gone and and the it. things you've done, and how mm-hmm. you've changed as an individual over the years.
0: Yeah, and also just more about uh, you know. And for the guests who come on, hopefully I have a few of them, multiple re- repeat guests just. Projects that they've done and have they liked in the pathway they're going, or if they found out that maybe that's not the pathway they want to go on and change out and figure something else out?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it'll be yeah. interesting uh, to listen to this in a few years, you yeah. know, when we're older and <laughs> hear ourselves talking and how we think. Because, yeah, it's not very often that we get to do this, really. And yeah, I mean, we've people have been taking pictures of themselves for a long time, and that's kind of been the way of capturing ourselves in a moment of time but in a way it doesn't really capture what people are or th- are thinking or or what they are interested in in a moment or i mean i suppose a good picture can
0: do both those yeah. things, but it's it's harder right yeah and i think um specifically what comes with pictures just um one of the biggest things about that is uh for people who have pictures go through your digital library of photos you've taken and think of how many have you, like, A, displayed to people, and how many have you printed off and mounted somewhere? <laughs> or even looked at. Yeah, like, how many, how often do you go back and look through your your digital library of photos? It's like, back in the old day where you had a camera, a film camera, and you had 30 shots in that set of film, and when that was done, you had them developed, and you looked at those multiple times, because you, you know, you made sure that those shots you were taking, if, like, you didn't want to, press that button if you weren't going to get the picture you wanted. You were much more conscious about what you were taking shots of. Totally. And maybe you were searching for more, you know, emotional stuff. Like back when we were kids, like what were some things worth taking photos of? Birthdays, Christmas, anytime we had the family together, stuff like that. Yeah. Big, big events. And now it's like, hey, I have a camera on my phone with multiple gigs of storage space. Selfie, selfie, selfie. Yeah. It's like, like I got on the bus, time to take a selfie. I got off the bus, I'm going to take a selfie. Oh, look, here's the C train. Selfie. Yeah. Some guy fell off a bike. Selfie time. It's like, you know, pictures used to be worth a thousand words, but I think because now how easy it is to make pictures, people don't think about the words that could, dis- could be used to-, to transmit that information. So maybe they're only worth 500 words now. Uh, depends on who takes the picture. I know there's a lot of teenagers who take pictures that maybe is worth two words. And yet there are also some people who take pictures that you think, you see them and you're like, I don't think there's enough words in the entire English language or any other language to fully get through of what that picture holds. Like There are some people who are, you know, photography is a true art and they can make Tons of feelings and give you tons of information. And there are other people who they do it because it's an available and cheap thing to do. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think
1: it's a great idea that that you're doing this. Yeah. And it's going to be exciting to listen to it. Like I said. Yeah. It makes me think it would be. I would very be very excited to listen to a podcast that I made ten years ago. <laughs> you know, if we would yeah. have made one ten years ago, yeah, that,
0: that would have been great. Oh yeah.
1: I would totally listen to that. Yeah,
0: I, I, we, we should have been doing that years ago. I mean, granted, back then, price, the, the affordability of the gear back then, was cost prohibitive, and like cameras, cameras, which are now you can get a really good camera on your cell phone. You know, recording gear isn't too out of the reach anymore. No, I absolutely mean, not. Like there are expensive microphones you can buy, and they're expensive systems you can put together. But if you know what you're looking for and you use the good old internet and search for reviews and stuff, you can find like a relatively good priced recording device or preamp for a computer. You can get some good mics like, uh, the audio technica 2020, which is both available in USB or XLR. Apparently they're great mics on both. That's a great mic in both things. And the price point on those mics isn't too bad for what they are. Yeah. You don't have to go out and buy that sure um, SM fifty nine or whatever it is that five hundred dollar microphone, and then buy a, a two hundred dollar scissor mount for it. Yeah, you can buy like a even a not too bad of a price USB microphone and just get a like ten dollar desk mount. Yeah,
1: why don't you just explain for us what your setup is here? Because if you've, you've, I know you've been uh, thinking about this, this for a long time, yeah. and and. You just recently got this the second got, mic here, so why yeah. don't you just explain what you got going on here? So
0: yeah, so the gear we have, I'm speaking into right now a um, a an EV RE twenty, which is a pretty good broadcast and recording mic that you gave me. <laughs> I did. <laughs> yeah, that you used for a good period of time, and then I went onto Amazon and I wanted uh, some desk mounted uh, scissor um, scissor mounts, I guess is what they're called, or scissor stands. Kind of like the old, um, almost like the Pixar light and the ability of it to move around with the arm stuff like that. Yeah, I just went to Amazon and searched the around and, I mean, they're they're twenty five dollar units to each one, so you can get really cheap ones in on Amazon. Uh, we'll see how they hold up, but heck, for twenty five bucks, they look like they're they're pretty good quality. They're from China, but I'm not gonna knock them. <laughs> It's not like they're going to break in half. You don't have to buy, like, the $100 versions of these. You're not banging around too much. They're just kind of... They're just set there. it forget it. Yeah. It's, so it's got
1: some springs on it. Maybe the springs will go, but you could always replace those. Yeah,
0: that's not too bad to do. And and then, uh, yeah, um, they came with, uh, you know, pop filters that were, like, 10 bucks, And pop filters are just in generally not too bad of a price thing. So if you need them, I think, like, the most expensive ones you can buy are, like, $25. And that's, like real high-end stuff so you can just make some with uh yeah, just, some yeah. uh, coat hanger and some pantyhose yeah yeah
1: yeah so that's so, the mic that you're on and then what What do i got going so on then
0: right uh matthew's got an audio technica at 2020 um it rec- which is a nice mic i just picked up again you can get that in a usb or an xlr <laughs> depending on your setup and, and you got the USB or the uh, XLR, XLR version because it's traditional. Yeah, yeah. It's traditional and it it was cheaper. And uh, uh, it's also feeding into the v- device I have XLR was the only thing. And I have a zoom H six recorder, which is only recently I found out an actual preamp that you can run through your computer using either it's USB. It's designed to be an audio interface or it can be just a mobile recorder. It's, And we're using it as a mobile recorder right now. And it's just, it's a great little thing. Like um, the Zoom company, if you want to ever buy like mobile recorders, if you just need one for, if you're just going to do like a simple stereo recording, you don't want anything fancy. Their H1 line is an amazing recorder. Yeah. And I have one of those and I've just... That's more Love of a little like pocket kind yeah. of mini recorder, right? Yeah, they're great for the price. Um, I've never had a single problem with that one. They have their new um, H4, which is similar to this uh, H6, where it's got a you can trade off the heads. So the H6 is a 4XLR input, but it also has a left and right module, which comes with an X and Y um, mic, as well as a broadcast style uh, side record mic. And for the package, that's actually not that bad. And you can buy add-on, um, add-on units. Actually, I think it's the H5 this one works with. But you can buy the add-on units, which are is a shotgun mic and two more XLR ports, which for the price, again, isn't that bad. I w- was in a music store and audio store recently looking at and this thing, if I bought all the parts, is still cheaper than some of the four XLR preamps for computers that you have to buy the dedicated ones so for that it's like this is a great thing and it and holds up really well there's a little uh, I wouldn't say glitches but there's some little um, little things you have to get used to with the H6 specifically when you're live recording if you have a not heavily enough shielded XLR or um, quarter inch you may find yourself getting a little bit of static but the transformer in it pulls it out when it on the recording file oh so it it obviously knows that it's going to make that. It knows how to find that frequency and cut it out. That and one time I had it and I was recording, uh, just doing a test recording with it, and I was picking up the local radio station. Oh, like that was really audible. Huh.
1: And well, that must be the XLR cables. If it wasn't, uh, yeah, uh, yeah,
0: that was definitely an XLR cable. Granted, that was at f- like full power. I was running it at full gain on everything just to oh, see how yeah. it was. But it was still <laughs> there, and it was really funny. And I just changed out the XLR, and it disappeared. Yeah, I think it was just a it was a degraded XLR that just had no shielding on it. So yeah, well, cables act as uh, antennas, well. They are They are antennas. Yeah, <laughs> look copper at your copper wire. Yeah, copper wire, silver wire, and. If you're buying cold wire for this type of stuff, I'd question your exp- <laughs> why you're spending the money on it, unless you're suddenly going to be like Metallica recording in your in-house monster studio.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, it's pretty impressive that you're able to get a, I would say, a, quite a professional setup here for really not that much money. Yeah. Considering how much it would have cost, you know, ten, fifteen years ago to do this sort of thing, it's really the the prices yeah. just
0: dropped. Astronomically, it's... Oh, that's that's for sure. The good thing about technology is the price keeps going down unless you're buying an Apple iPhone 10, in <laughs> which case you are buying... You are definitely paying up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do i got to start looking into buying a new phone. Mine's starting to have some uh, weird problems going on it. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, well, four years old, so...
1: <laughs> I guess that's about the...
0: Life expectancy. Lifespan,
1: life expectancy yeah. of... Telephones. Yeah. These
0: days, I mean, it's not that bad. It's just it it loses connection to the network if I'm if I'm on Wi-Fi too long and then I have to reboot it. Oh. I mean, it could all. i it could also be a SIM card issue, but because every time it reboots, it works perfectly. I don't think it is. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've had the OnePlus One. It's the original edition. You know, since it came out, and again, that's four years, <laughs> and that wasn't that bad. I think I paid three hundred. Bucks back when it came out, so that wasn't that bad of a phone cost compared to what you can get today. Yeah, <laughs> that was still it's, I mean, it's the best Android phone I've owned, and I've owned four of them. Wow, That's I had the pretty good, yeah. I had the HTC Desire HD, which was pretty good until I bricked it by putting in a custom ROM mistake. <laughs> uh, then I had a uh, Samsung Galaxy S3 shattered uh, the screen on that when it fell out of my pocket onto cement. And then I had um it's the it was the LG made Nexus 5 for Google. And if you own one of those, I know they're out of production now, but if you ever own one of those or you get one secondhand that's in good condition, never put it in the same pocket as a, pe- a set of keys. Those keys will crack your screen like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> and that doesn't have to be like it doesn't even have to push into the keys hard. It will just like its screen is like chintzy plastic. And I don't know how they got away with it. Huh? And it's just, I, I remember ab- a
1: screen protector in that thing, I guess.
0: Yeah. Well, back then screen protectors were again, like either really cheap plastic. Now they've got good uh, screen protectors, like um, tempered glass. Oh yeah. Which is definitely the way to go. Yeah. I've, I've, I have tempered glass screen protector on my Nintendo, Nintendo switch. And <laughs> I probably should have gotten it a little earlier. There's a few scratches on my switch switch screen from the uh, dock. Come on, Nintendo! You could have made that dock so it doesn't scratch the screen. <laughs> <laughs> that's like that there's, was really designed for you. Yeah, that's. Uh, they were looking at more of. We need the Nintendo logo showed on the front when you put it next to your TV. Versus, hey, here's something that it slides into perfectly. You guys had better designs, and you're selling better designs as peripheral stands, not as docks. Come on. <laughs> come uh, on, man. Yeah,
1: come on, man. Although. I think it's funny that cell phones are now are designed to be so beautiful and feel so nice in your hand, and yet uh, everybody's so paranoid about dropping them or, or cracking them that we all – put them inside these big clunky cases and kind of the <laughs> yeah the the design is lost and, yeah. you know it becomes the the case that you feel and the case that you see
0: the most yeah. i know it, it's amazing i mean the, there's a meme on the internet about how um, the old nokia candy bar phones are going to withstand the test of time like those things are practically invincible yeah and both of us having owned one we can test that they are pretty much invincible i think so yeah and yet today we have they were nowhere near as powerful as the current iphone or even the or the androids that you can buy but you yeah. buy these like but you know those nokia candy bar phones i think you can still buy them like 90 bucks or like 100 bucks to buy one of them today wow and they'll you can throw them at a brick wall and they'll be fine the wall will probably fall down <laughs> but you can pay 900 to a thousand dollars for a really good smartphone from like the top end manufacturers and if that thing decides to fall out of your hand onto any piece of cement, you know you're probably going to send that sucker in for either a new screen or you're going to have to put into like a hundred dollar protector case. Like those insanely overbuilt OtterBox box cases that just seem to be the bane of uh, smart design. It's like here's something that can your phone will withstand the apocalypse, but it will look like a just a piece of junk until then. <laughs> like we have all this plastic and all this insanely over designed, over molded rubber just to make sure you don't drop it. Yep. And then it comes with the cheapest little screen protector at the same time and you pay a hundred bucks for that. And You're like, this rubber can't this rubber plastic can't cost a hundred dollars. You know it can't cost that much. Yep. So then you go into eBay and find the exact same package coming out of the factory in China from Hong Kong for five dollars. <laughs> and you think, How the heck did my and then you realize that the uh, cell phone store you bought from totally suckered you <laughs> into it. And more times than not, it's the store that is your carrier that sold it to you. <laughs> or you I just mean, realize that that's how capitalism, capitalism works. works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Buy cheap, sell high. Yep. That's how trade works, too.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep. Uh, have, have have something made cheap and sell it for, you know, you, you're not going to sell the same commodity the same price all over the world. You're not going to sell a... uh, I mean, I don't know about Apple, but I highly doubt there are certain versions of Samsung's phones that are being sold at the U.S. price point in India. I highly doubt they're being sold at the U.S. price point in certain areas of Africa. Now, I would not doubt in the same time that if you were buying a smartphone in places such as Dubai or Qatar, where where a portion of the population is uber-wealthy, like beyond super-rich from oil commodities, and that most of the population... It's not that there are two stores. You go to the six-star-grade um, mall, and you probably are not going to get an iPhone ten for $1,000. You're probably going to get one for $2,000, yeah. and it's going to come with a diamond-encrusted case. That's another $4,000. <laughs> and people in the UAE and in Qatar are going to have no problem buying that. <laughs> but there's probably another store for the uh, migrant workers who, did you hear this Qatar just finally made uh, the new minimum wage for migrant workers for a month? $195 a migrant worker going into uh, Qatar makes a month. Wow. Like, pff, talk about not a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> and which well, I means guess it
1: depends what the cost of living are, but...
0: Well... A lot of them are almost indentured servants. From what I've read, like people who move to Qatar for jobs, your company, the company that hires you, practically owns your visa and can basically get rid of it at any time and detain you indefinitely if they feel like they can. There's been a few cases where uh, a considerable portion of uh, certain people, um, mostly Nigerians, who go there for work find out that they don't have an ability to get home. I think they surrender. You surrender your passport to the company you work for. Oh. Like so, they keep you there until they get the job done, and they might just set set you free and let you go home with a little bit of money. That's pretty sad. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> that's what that world is. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So what projects are you working on at the moment yeah, or you've got envisioned in the long term future <laughs> just well, I just came from
1: editing a uh video that i was that I recorded <laughs> for our family friend jeff Poole <laughs> that's what i i borrowed one of Justin's cameras to make a three camera uh video recording of this uh Art talk, kind of like a TED talk that PL lawyers are making as mm-hmm. a kind of promotional tool for themselves and as a way to to have uh, interesting conversations with with local uh, Albertan artists. Mm. So I was just editing that editing the video right before I came here, mm-hmm. and uh, that's one thing I'm doing. And uh, what else? I actually just wrote a long grant that I handed in last night to work on a project to develop my uh, 3D images and animation. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I want to... I want to uh, talk about technology and online identities (laughs) and, and how they're... Affecting us and the impact that's having on us right now in 2017. I think it's a important topic and uh, something that a lot of a lot of people aren't thinking about too much. So
0: so by that, are you talking about the identity of um, how you portray yourself online? Or are you also talking about how the world has uh, the western world has split into the idea of the identity politics like what do you identify as are you a are you a lesbian are you a libertarian are you a socialist like it's all these very tiny words that mean a lot and they clump you together with a bunch of other people and it's sort of a way of like i disagree with you so i'm going to throw you into this group and not view you as a person but just view you as that word and throw you off to the side you yeah. That's, that's, that's one thing uh, I'm finding annoying. <laughs> that's an annoying one. I, I wasn't talking about that you one. You were talking about... That is, a, that is an annoying one. That is something that... Uh, I was saw an article a few days ago, and I was thinking back. Um, it was from a New York Times... It was in the New York Times. It was an op-ed written by a, um, by a, uh, by a professor, and it was... Um, the title was very concerning, more about from the fact that that title has to exist... And that question has to be asked. The title was, um, uh, Can My Kids Be Friends with White Children? Oh. And it's like, I read that and I'm like, yeah. looking back over all the years of the civil rights struggle, if Martin Luther King saw that, he'd be like, how the heck did you guys mess up everything we laid for you in the 60s and 70s? How the heck have we become so much more divisive and split yeah. than we were back then? Like back then it was bad. Now, even though there's, like, not as much violence in the streets, we now have the extreme fringe on all sides flying off the corner trying to kill each other or fight, and you can no longer have a reasonable discussion. Or at least the guys in the center who think, like, hey, there are problems on all sides, we need to talk about them, are getting shut down. Yeah, it seems like right now we're living in a time of the shutdown and yeah. and
1: the the not allowing people to speak and
0: the, protesting
1: to the point of of uh silencing.
0: Yeah, it's concerning to see this rise of um sort of thought policing to the level it has become. Yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately, it seems to be
1: the uh the left wing that's doing it the most.
0: Yeah. yeah. Although I will say that the right wing has definitely spent the last um well, at least in the United States, I'm talking about the US, I don't know too much. I mean, Canada's not in the same position. We're luckily that way, is that in Canada, the groups that are moving it are even so far out there that even the left wing in Canada is kind of like, ooh, guys. You know, are, are Canada known as being the friendly neighbor for the friendly country? Like, it's kind of still holding true in most cases. Yeah. But I mean, the US, um, for the last almost 30 years, uh, the right has complained about similar things and then had legislation actually enacted that allows the left wing to do what they're doing now. It's sort of like you guys did it 25 years ago. Now it's being done to you. I mean, it's worse now because they have much more. 20 years ago, you didn't have cell phones and Facebook and you couldn't have these spontaneous rallies form in 20 minutes. But you still had a lot of fake information being passed around. It was just there was very few channels for that fake information to be passed through. And both sides, unfortunately, have become quite adept at spreading fake information handily at any point in time. Yeah. But yeah, so let's go on about what you think the the internet identity sort of thing is. Because <laughs> I'd like to hear where you're going with that. Yeah, well, I think we're in an
1: interesting time where we've... In the last ten years, we've invested a lot of uh, energy and uh, and emotion into online uh, social networking and uh, and tools for communication. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, we've created these identities for ourselves these kind of virtual uh, avatar like <laughs> yeah. people. Not even, I mean, there are avatars, and I'm not talking about Second Life, but even just, you know, our online identity that we, we well, portray through Facebook.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, how many people post on Facebook when they post on Facebook? It's pretty much just the positive aspect of their life. It's like the positive one dimension. Absolutely. You barely ever see anything of the negative, negative. And if it's hardship, it's usually done in a way for sympathy, not for... Like It's usually more of like pity me or sympathy, give me sympathy, give me your helpful emotions, but don't actually come and help me with my problem. There's not a lot of, hey, I just saw this. uh, There's not a lot of spontaneous, like, hey, let's go help some people out stuff. I mean, there's got to be a little bit of that happening, but that's not the majority. The social networks have definitely become the anti-social networks. It has. It's interesting to have seen it change like that.
1: Because really, Facebook's only, I think, 10 years old. Yeah. It, it, like, well, it I've only been on there for seven years, I think, or six years. Even. Yeah.
0: Well, I remember I got my Facebook account my uh, just, after uni- just after I graduated high school. So that's almost 10 years ago. And I had it for my high school friends, and then I shut it down for about a year. Oh, yeah. I just didn't see any need for it. And then I pretty much reactivated it because for the small group of friends I did have, a lot of them... They had like either multiple emails, or it's just easier to just use Facebook as a purely messaging surface. Yeah, it's not about or as a hey, we should go and get a meetup going and have this publicly, like maybe not publicly, but at least show shared throughout a group of like we're gonna go do something. But it was definitely like we might be one of the few people who are using the social network for social aspects of life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like how it was properly meant to be used not as hey look at these 50,000 pictures i uh took on vacation of the starving kid in africa right behind me while i eat a my 3 foot long subways yeah i Which, think it's gone through a real change
1: of from being more personal like i don't even see people's vacation photos that often anymore Far less than I used to. I think yeah. it, when it first started, when I was first on there, it was actually very honest and kind of yeah. reflective of how people were doing during the day or funny things that they saw. But uh, in in the last few years, it's really become a uh, sharing, like link sharing, like sharing news articles. So just a way to like find current events. Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah I guess. Or like a weird kind of... <laughs> self-reflection reflective kind of uh place where people just yeah put the, the the photo of them looking good and you all you see is like the photo of them doing the cool thing and it which i think isn't doesn't reflect reality yeah very much no and i've read that those that that atmosphere of of just sharing the the positive things and making yourself look beautiful and sharing things that make you seem like an interesting person. uh, It actually has a a, a real negative effect on people Mm. and especially uh, younger people who are using it as a way to try to fit in and to be popular and are just kind of discovering themselves, you know, teenagers. When when they're in this kind of competitive race <laughs> to post the
0: most beautiful, you know, it's selfies like, and the Or most it's like, yeah, the best, the best thing is like, hey, look, I'm like, it goes back to, uh, well, it, yeah, Facebook sort of become just at least that aspect, the competition of, hey, look, I'm the guy who got who stayed up late at night to be at a game store to buy the newest video game and I want to post the video of me standing in line with 25 other people because I'm the only one doing that of all my friends, and bragging to my friends like instead of actually going to school the next day and saying like, "Hey, I got this game. Let's all go over to my place and play it." It's not like, "Hey, did you see my stream last night? I got it. You guys are never going to come over and play it because uh, you know I don't want to see you in real life." Yeah, exactly. It's it's yeah. I think mean, people it, are hanging out a lot less in real life. Oh, for for sure they are, and, and um, one of the big things about that, about what you bring up is. The fact that um, biologically at least uh, – I'm not sure about the age for females, but I know for males like our frontal lobe, like the most important part of our brain that makes most of our decisions, isn't fully developed until about 25. Yeah. So if you buy in and you you have a Facebook from like – I think the minimum age is like 14 years old. That's what they That's, say, but I think I'm oh, sure people it's have it. For... People have it for younger than that for sure. But imagine if you sign in, you're a 12-year-old – just going through the motions of puberty and all that stuff, and you have a Facebook page and you have friends your age and you've got friends of friends who are you know, your, your, your best buddy's older brother who just went off to the universe and you're seeing that sort of stuff. Like, like, and he's only posting the crazy stuff that he's doing at university. He's only posting the frat party videos and stuff like that. How is that going to affect your thinking for the next 10 years b- before you actually have fully developed who you are? Like your, your brain is fully properly developed itself. And then it's like, well, I just spent the last 10 years gorging on crap from Facebook and stuff like that. And just these obscene lifestyles that people are living. I want to live that way now yeah. versus being like, well, okay, I'm 24 years old. I probably should consider getting into a career path or a job or something that's going to give me some form of steady life. Or something like that, eh, or you know, looking for positive, mutually beneficial relationships with people, so you can learn and learn from them and work together on something. Now it's become a much more aggressive. I got to be the first at that. I got to do this first. And I think that the, um, another aspect of that is just how, um, uh, and this is more about the video gaming world of, of the idea of um, the websites such as Twitch and live streaming video game playing how important it is now. I got the new video game, I'm gonna play this, I gotta get like the high score on the uh what's it, um player Unown, uh player uh frick um PUBG player Unown battlegrounds it's like which is a big battle royale game, like I gotta show myself doing this amazing gameplay and if I don't I'm not gonna feel satisfied with my day. It's like hmm maybe It's kinda of changing the way people play video games. Or the reason reason that they're doing it? I think the competitive aspect of multiplayer has changed. I don't know if it's as much with the single player. Although the idea of Let's Plays for single player games, you're now having to create your own persona as you're playing the game to interact with your audience. And I mean, I would love to stream myself playing video games and doing stuff like that. I just don't think that I want to make a persona that isn't, that you know I don't want to make a secondary persona and video gaming for me is largely a single identity time it's just for me to be me mm-hmm. and not saying anything wrong about the guys who are streaming and doing stuff like that but there's got to be some for, form of that that is potentially negative or destructive and I think if you ever if people ever decide to go onto YouTube which also isn't is part of this problem but searching, like, all these crazy videos of, like, the insane streamers who got kicked off for and what reasons, you start seeing aspects of these people's lifestyles that are generally stuff that you shouldn't see or that they think because they've got a million people following them, they can get away with stuff that just the regular Joe couldn't get away with. Like what? Uh, one story. Being yeah. racist or sexist. Well, or? no. I mean, not the racist thing because the biggest YouTuber in the world, uh, PewDiePie after... Making a very, very questionably, uh, questionably tasteful joke, which I haven't heard the joke, and I, I sort of only know about the second hand. But he got a lot of his sponsors to drop out because he did something that was, like, racist comments about or Naziistic comments about Jews. Yeah. I don't know if it was a parody or not. I, uh, but he lost a lot of sponsors from that, and he's huge. So imagine what some of. That was the big story that the Wall Street Journal, I think. Got earlier this year but there are definitely f- stories of people doing stuff like that i did see one video where they, there was a twitch streamer who twitch had to ban completely because he found he just he was a racist homophobic guy and he did um I think he, he um he did something illegal on live stream i can't remember what it was but he actually live streamed himself like committing assault or something like that to his girlfriend Oh. And then tried to play it off. It was like, oh, she she's fine with that. Oh. Like, and Twitch basically f- threw the book at him. But, you know, f- that video was still... Like, Twitch didn't knock him out until like two days after the fact. Mm-hmm. So if you were on that live stream, watched it, and you're a young kid, maybe you got away with... Maybe you thought, oh, well, it's okay to beat up my girlfriend now. Or you were a subscriber and you watched the VOD. You're like, ah, oh, maybe that's not maybe that's great for entertainment. Maybe that'll get me a couple of more thousand views. Yeah. Another story I do know a lot more about was, um, these two YouTubers, uh, I don't want to name them cause I detest using their name because of what they've done is, so, even though it's not despicable as in they didn't hurt anybody physically, they did do actions that were morally like wrong to begin with. Uh-huh. Basically, uh, Um, a big thing that's taken off in video games is the idea of loot crates these little crates you get from playing good and then you can unlock them and it's either skins or gear it's this random stuff it could be for some games it's like skins for your firearms like it doesn't change any physical thing about the gun but just the look of it is super rare and there may only be so many of those generated a year Uh so they become really valuable and these two guys created a website that you could take your skins from your game and gamble them against other people and they advertised it on YouTube as if they found this website. They just happened to cross it one day and then the website was going to sponsor them. Well, news came out that they actually made the website and that every video they posted, they posted with them being the bots controlling the uh, algorithms so that they were always going to win. Oh. And it's illegal to do that. If you, It's illegal to run a gambling website in the United States, period. Oh. And this is technically gambling because those skins have real-world monetary value. Oh. Which is ridiculous enough. There are apparently skins for CS, for Counter-Strike uh, Global Offensive that are worth like $56,000 for a what? knife, a knife skin. What? Like digital objects that are worth more than cars. That's ridiculous. And all it is, is it's just, hey, it's the look. It doesn't change anything about the gameplay, but it's super valuable. And it probably gives them cred when they're filming their twitch video right that they oh have yeah that this. they have that so, so definitely um, I wouldn't be surprised in some aspects uh, that the developers give out these things to some of the players or like some of the streamers and stuff for advertising their gear give them some of the higher grade stuff for free oh but then these guys owned it and they pretended like they had done like that they were justified in pretending that they didn't own the website in their videos. And, of course, then these guys started looking into it. The guys who were, found them found out that the average age of the um, um, subscribers for their websites was under 17. Oh. So imagine you're a, you know, it's sort of is an it's not the best way to describe this, um, but taking the aspect of, let's say you're a 14-year-old guy who loves playing Counter-Strike Go and you want to, win some skins but you don't want to spend a lot of time playing the game. You go onto their their website where you can do these roulette games to get see how many you can win and you take mom or dad's credit card number and you pay like $200 to bet your skins oh. or buy skins on that website and then you gamble it and you lose it all. Huh. So then you come out with nothing and you pay $200 for all the stuff and you lost because you were hoping that you are going to get a $10,000 pot which apparently sometimes were possible worth of gear and stuff like that well you're a 14 year old kid who got enticed by YouTubers who told you about this website to play on what happened to be the YouTubers own website even though you didn't know it was their website and they had no intention of disclosing it was their own website so you just funded them even more money besides from the ad revenue they got from you watching their video Right, and they took advantage of you being a subscriber that you would go on there Wow, that's and this is some contemporary issues. Yeah, <laughs> stuff that stuff that needs to be solved. And I'll, I'll give credit to um, to the corporation um, Valve, who CS:GO um, Counter Strike Global Offensive was their property of how they came down on this once this started becoming a thing, but they didn't really react until they were named in a ca- class action lawsuit against these guys. Oh. As co-defendant. And then Valve's like, oh, we're just going to take away the API so you can't buy the skins on these websites anymore. Like, you could have done that at the start and not had to deal with the problem. The fact is that people felt that Valve was fine with these gambling websites because it brought more attention to this game so more people were going to play the game. Oh, okay but if you're gonna do that you don't get to take the moral high ground after the fact after people find out it was really bad and you're like maybe we shouldn't have done that yeah maybe you should have thought that went through yeah
1: i think we're in an interesting place for me these a lot of these online platforms and companies have seemingly i guess you know it was a, a slow uh a slow progress or I guess in 10 years, you know, not that slow, but they've, they've become kind of these, uh, these overlords or these like holders of the moral key, you know, and all, all of a sudden, you know, f- Facebook is, is, is yeah. is part of political debates and, you know, political manipulation, you know, they have a hand in that now political and, and Twitter is being used for, all sorts of uh, political things including yeah. you know terrorists communicating G- with each other G- and and uh, subverting the government people yeah. use it as a tool for communication during protests yeah. and you know so all of a sudden these these companies that you know aren't really in the business of uh, ethics I wouldn't say you know are no, they, they, they are, were,
0: well they would argue that they just created a platform for people to use they weren't you know, it's sort of the, um, it's the whole thing about, uh, uh, you know, just because you invent something doesn't mean you're the moral arbiter of what you invented. Like, you know, um, the guy, um, the original guy from Mercedes who made the first car, was he concerned that someday somebody was going to put a machine gun on the top of his car and, or
1: crash into somebody or, or yeah, drive, drive, drive it, it through,
0: drive it through a protest to, of people they politically disagreed with and run over a, uh, a, a, Young university student who was just was there because she thought that um, that the people that she was counter-protesting against were are vile racist people and that she wanted to have her voice heard. and because she was there, she got run over by a Ford Mustang. <laughs> it's like, do you think that Henry Ford would have would want that to do it? He would. Logically, of course, he would say he would hate for that to happen, but he doesn't control what the end user does, and that's how a lot of these companies view it, is I just created something. It's what you do it, do with it. But I think that now... Well, what if they're
1: st- making money off of it?
0: Yeah. What if they're like intentionally making it so that it's possible
1: you, well, you for can, them to make money off oh, of things yeah. that well, maybe then, aren't then, that good?
0: Then that does bring in the much heavier ethical question, like specifically for Facebook and and Twitter and, and Although YouTube and seem th- to be
1: making much money. I don't know where. No, Twitter is not from. making
0: any money. I think uh, yeah. I think I read a document that um, I have to. I have to look this up, and, and people who to this, look this up. But I think they said like at some point for some of the major like people who have more than a million followers on Twitter, it's like somewhere close to thirty percent of those followers are nothing but bots. For yeah. most of them, it's like there's a lot of fake Twitter accounts. And I remember uh, I think it was late last year uh, that Twitter got in trouble because when they made their initial public offer for stock, like a bunch of the accounts that they used were robot accounts that they themselves made to keep their growth numbers up yeah. to make it look more valuable it actually was. So, but that's more stock stuff. But I would say that, that we are dealing with a issue where the monetization of people's thoughts and how companies... Can pretend can be like they can pretend to be neutral and sort of um, you know morally ambiguous and still make money off people who are definitely committing amoral acts or using their system to commit amoral acts openly you know, like um, the guys um, the fact how um, certain groups uh, certain terrorist groups have seem to have no problem using Twitter even though what the information they're spreading around definitely violates Twitter's terms of service, but a guy who disagrees with a politician in the United States, mostly people who disagree with more left-wing politicians in the United States will get deplatformed off Twitter. Yeah, Because Twitter <laughs> has, like, at least some of the people in Twitter definitely have a political agenda they want to skew the world towards. Yeah. I mean, but what about even the fact that
1: studies are saying that I just read an article in the Atlantic saying that mm. using just using Facebook is bad for your health you know it's kind of like it's like cigarettes in a way you know for oh. your brain oh, right? oh for sure it being is a, sucked into yeah. this like digital realm 24 7 is not good for mental health yeah. and it like we said before it's it's affecting children and yeah. teenagers and it's making higher levels of anxiety and you know so what you know and they're doing that on purpose they want us to be more engaged with their platform yeah they make it so it is an addictive when we get those likes and we get the feedback and the yeah the thumbs up it feels good it gives us our little dopamine hit yeah, and we be- Feel good about it, right? So, yeah. in, in a way, it is kind of like smoking. It's like a, they're they're kind of becoming the yeah. cigarette company. And so, what what responsibility do they have then to the people that are using their the, platform? And I I think part of what is, what's changed in me recently is the idea that they're neutral, that they're just a they're just a communication
0: platform. Yeah. I don't I don't know if I believe that anymore I'm, because I think I don't think that the well I think your point is correct. I don't think I think that we were naive. To think that they're neutral. Yes. I don't think there is a single entity out in the world that is truly neutral. If you can find one, I bet you within five minutes somebody else can tear it apart and say, like, well, no, they have this already set up bias. Yep. In some way. Like, you have to work really hard to actually approach the idea of being neutral. It's not something you just are. (laughs) Especially when you're... One of the largest companies on earth, right? Yeah, one With of the well, billions uh, and billions uh, of dollars. Billions of dollars. You own a firm that's dedicated to building virtual reality systems. <laughs> like, yeah, right. remember when, when Facebook first bought Oculus, how people were kind of like how there was a, I don't know if you saw this, but in the video game community, there was quite a lot of people concerned about that. Yeah. More because of the, the, the aspect of a social media giant. Buying a virtual reality platform is like are, are, are the insanely over uh, joked about cartoons in The Simpsons about how you plug into a virtual reality or um, from a show that will date me even more of the cartoon uh, Tales from the Keeper where you get sucked into the video game and now you have to fight for your life to get out of it. <laughs> like when those guys wrote those stories, they were making jokes. Like they never thought it would get that far. <laughs> Approaching a time when that addiction is becoming a potential reality soon. Absolutely. And I think virtual reality has the ability to to manipulate
1: and coerce and uh, control us in a way that's even greater than yeah. cell phones or computers, really. Yeah. Especially if they're able to track your eyes and see what you're looking at yeah. and see, oh, you know, Justin looked at that ad for Forward. a fraction of a second longer. <laughs> like, he must like oh, yeah. that thing. So
0: we're gonna give him more of that thing, right? Yeah, which which that stuff already exists. Um, I follow a guy. This is on Facebook. He's a um, he's a uh, cybersecurity expert. Oh yeah, out of Tucson, Arizona, and he was at a he showed a picture of um, himself at a um, at a shopping mall, and you know how in shopping malls now they have the digital maps, but they also have the digital ads running. Oh and yeah. it was one of the digital ads had broken, so it was just the BIOS. Or just the DOS, basically, system of it, um, just the command screen showing what was going on. And it was um, identifying the people who were looking at it, like, trying to say, like, middle-aged, balding male with glasses like that. It would document that. It wasn't that good with it, though, because the guy who's posted this, like, the system that detected him, he's, like, he's got to be in his mid-40s and... He's a slightly overweight male, and it identified him as a 14-year-old teenage girl. Oh. (laughs) So it screwed up on that, but it documented how long his eyes were locked on that screen. Wow. It had it down to, it was like, uh, each second was, it was like eight decimal points for the seconds. Like, that's how intense it was measuring. Wow, And it just had a line of like 40 people it looked at, and there was um, one person who had looked at it for at least five minutes. Like for wow. this thing, and then granted, it was the command line, so it probably for tech people that would be interesting to read, like <laughs> all the secrets of what's going on. But he's like, they're documenting, and they're he's like, they, they're getting better at this all the time. Like this was an old uh, unit he was r- repairing, and he's like, this thing was at least three years old when it was put in when it was put in, and it's not five years old when he was doing the repairs for it. He's like, he said, I have no doubt there's stuff in top end malls in the world today where that stuff is almost like it's maybe only a 10% off of what it actually needs to be, of how accurate it could be. Yeah. Like we know, um, and he was working for a company said that they um, are getting to the point where that information, when it takes that picture now, it's going to start searching Facebook, Twitter for your face on stuff. And it's going to try to either sell that information to Facebook or buy information from Facebook To to then then create dedicated ads permanently based on what you spent your time on. Wow. I mean, we already know Google's doing it with search engine results, like stuff you search for or websites you visit pop up and like, hey, we noticed that you, like uh, this 5.11 store that you bought, uh, that you had your cell phone on with location ID and that you spent 20 minutes in 5.11. So now you're going to see a lot of 5.11 ads on the website banners. Oh, we know that you like you like Nintendo. You search Nintendo in our search engine. We're gonna show you Nintendo deals that are currently on at your local Best Buy. Yeah, or even at the mall.
1: Yeah, you liked
0: your
1: you liked your friend's post showing their new Nike shoes. So we're gonna show you an ad for the Nike Nike store that's in this mall, Mall. right? Yeah, for Nike shoes, maybe similar shoes or like something, right? Well, it could get
0: very intelligent. Well, yeah, I remember this is a dated movie but um the steven spielberg and tom cruise movie minority report oh, yeah. where the stores the cameras in the stores would take a picture would take your uh picture of your eye and it would tell you what you bought last time you're in do you want the same thing yes it's like or that would be able to know hey you paid your pass for uh for the train today you get to ride or no you didn't or hey We've seen you ride the train for free before. That you didn't pay. We're not going to let you on this time. We've Uh notified police of your location. Yeah. Please don't move. We're tracking it. Like that is definitely happening. I think. um, And what are the laws, or how do
1: we? How do we adapt to that? Well, how do we? How do we live in a world where that sort of thing's happening? I don't think we're prepared to Uh, to be there. We're not even thinking about the real the, you know, the ethics or the the. The moral implications of living in a world where advertisers are able to manipulate way- you in ways that you don't even yeah. know or aren't even aware of. Yeah. Do you remember? Did you hear that conversation that I had when we were in South Africa with that fellow who was worked for yeah, an yeah. insurance Yeah, yeah. Well, I company? was right. I
0: was right, right beside you. Yeah. How you know, he 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 he, uh, he worked for one of the big data companies, the big data mining companies.
1: Yeah, and he was. Uh, he was one of the lead programmer people or something or the lead analysts. And he's, he gave us that example of insurance companies uh, buying uh, information from Google and from other uh, tracking ad tracking services and kind of uh, cookie based uh, web personal web tracking uh, services that would tell them uh, when people were going to get a divorce yeah, Just based on the searches they were making and the things they were looking at, and the people themselves—and this is the craziest part—is the people themselves don't don't even realize that's that they're, they're going to get a divorce. How
0: how the psychology of this yep. has become so well developed that it's it's precognitive in a way.
1: Yeah, you can yeah, yeah, and then they go in and sell sell them insurance companies, send them an email about a, a insurance plan that might be pertinent to their
0: situation. Virginia. Yeah, I have, no, I have no doubt that's going to happen soon. Like I, Well, I've no doubt they're already doing that, but I would imagine that specifically for car insurance and vehicles like that, I mean, assuming that self-driving cars don't take off as effectively, as quickly as people think. Yeah. I'm sort of in the... I used to be on the thing of self-driving cars. Once they start going, they're going to be an unstopping force. But I I saw a um, one of the guys who works for a, a company that's developing self-driving cars, and he was not... Um, He was not enthused about how quickly it was going to be. He thinks it's actually going to be a lot slower of a progress. And when people asked him why it was going to be slow, he said, well, easy, because the government's not going to let us just put out self-driving cars everywhere. And there's going to be a lot of people who aren't going to want to give up driving. Like, there are a lot of people that find driving fun. So they they have to figure out how to get beyond that. Which then brings us to uh, an interesting side note. Do you know that um, the company Frigid Air, which moves fridges and they sell fridges, they're an appliance company. Has been transporting all their fridges from Texas to California on self-driving trucks. Semi trucks. Really? For the since mid 2016. Wow. They've had a driver in the cab, but he just sits there oh, and right. the car drives it all the way. Yep. And by the by the end of next year, there won't be a driver in the cab. Wow. I didn't even know that was going on. And apparently it's been so successful they've had no issues. They're like, well we can finally move this and. I mean, granted, that's freeway driving, so it's only taking freeways and avoiding major cities going around them. But that's still a huge leap forward. And I think, frankly, semi-trucks are probably the most sensible to get self-driving first because that is a job that's typically a guy sitting in a spot just driving a vehicle for long periods of time. The biggest yeah. problem with those is driver fatigue. Yes, A machine doesn't suffer from that as much. It's way easier to deal with that. Doesn't suffer from it at all. <laughs> well, it does, a doesn't suffer from it. It will suffer from mechanical fatigue. Okay, so <laughs> just learned something. We got to watch the uh, time on how long the card goes
1: for. <laughs>
0: kind of made a mistake. We have a. I've got a little too small of a card in there. I'll, I'll fix that for next go round So now we're recording a wrap up after we cleared some space <laughs> from some old projects that are like at least three years old. So,
1: <laughs> oh, good.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, this is what happens when you're
0: start podcast out and start now yeah. yeah you don't think about that stuff until it happens it's better we did it today than if it was like in the middle of some insanely important conversation about uh, you know some project and it was like we need help on this can anyone help and just cut out and not realize it and post it online and people are like hey where did 90% of your podcast go i was really interested in that segment <laughs> <laughs> yeah well yeah. when
1: we get trudeau in here <laughs> or michael j fox uh, <laughs> yeah we gotta make sure we got enough room on the
0: card so we can record them yeah michael j fox oh that would be interesting <laughs>
1: yeah
0: hey marty mcfly did you think you'd actually see this world <laughs> like we don't have self-tying shoelaces or do we have f- flying cars but there were stuff back to the future didn't predict that we definitely have better than that <laughs> yep <laughs> yeah all right well, sign well off. thanks for having me on yep. your show for sure, man. Yep. All right. The stories from the Crispetro episode one, signing off, Justin and Matt. Bye.
1: Bye.